0: listening to the words of those songs. They are good and much needful in the days that we live in. If you pay attention even remotely close to what's happening in the world, uh, it's exciting and terrifying all at the same time, but we have these principles that are rock-solid, that don't ever change. Uh, that bring peace to the soul. Amen. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 5, please. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to just look at verses 12 and 13 here tonight again. And we began this last major section last week. It's a section that runs from verse 12 down through verse 22, as Paul is concluding his letter to the church in Thessalonica. And what this section is, is basically a long series of exhortations and commands to the church, and they all deal with practical life inside of a church. And if you remember, I entitled this series or this little section, The Responsibilities for a Healthy Church. And this section is really instruction for life in the church. It's very practical. It's very basic. It's straightforward. It's very direct. And you know what? That is exactly the kind of instruction that we need as a New Testament church. Direct, personal, practical. Especially For the days that we live in, as we anticipate the return of the Lord, what good is the Word of God if it's not practical to us? And it's very practical, and we have the job of applying it in our life. But that's really what this section is. We're talking about the responsibilities of a healthy church. And healthy churches don't just happen. Healthy churches require some things, some effort, Verses 12 and 13 is where Paul begins in this section, and he's really talking about the relationship between church members and pastors, shepherds and sheep, etc. And Paul says to this church, "...we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake." And be at peace among yourselves. And so, Paul is talking about uh, things or responsibilities that will help make a church healthy. And healthy churches require both that leaders and members fulfill their responsibilities in the Lord and to each other. And so, Paul, as he concludes this letter to this young church in Thessalonica, he's giving this practical counsel. About their responsibilities, we said last week that we would look first at the responsibilities of church members and then at the responsibilities of church leaders. Verses 12 and 13 show us the church's responsibility towards its leaders. You find in verse 12, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Clearly, he's talking about the pastor's of the church, the responsibility of the church, to know their pastors. And then in verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Secondly, to esteem them very highly in love. And then thirdly, to live at peace with one another. So the first one that we started last week was to know them that labor among you in the Lord. Clearly, again, he's talking about the pastors of the church. Paul said that the church members were to make it their business to know their spiritual leaders. The word know means to see, it means to consider, and it means to understand. To see, to observe, and then to understand your pastors. And the application that we made out of that was was simply this. Have you ever given that much thought? Most church members expect their pastors to know them. They want their spiritual leaders to be considerate of their spiritual needs, to take those into account. But what about this command for the church member to know their pastors? And we saw two practical things about knowing your pastor last week, to know their burdens And to know their battles. And there's many more that we could address. But to know their burdens. In many churches, the people know the pastor's address. They know the pastor's phone numbers. But do they know what their needs are? Do they know what his burdens are? Do they know the things that keep him awake at night? Do they know what gives him the most joy or the things that cause him the greatest sadness? What is it that concerns him the most? When he loses sleep, what is the cause of his unrest? And the question is, have you pondered what your pastor's greatest burdens are? Your pastors have virtually the same or at least similar personal challenges that you have. But almost in every case, those things are not the things that weigh heaviest on his mind or his heart. The problems or the difficulties that burden most pastors are not even their own hardships, but rather those things that have to do with the members of the congregation that they serve in. And the the key ultimately is that Christ would be formed in the people. And that's what Paul said to the church at Galatia. In Galatians 4.19, he said, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. What is it that he is laboring for the most? Until Christ be formed in you. And the thought was simply this, My greatest burden for you is that Christ be formed in you. Because I love and care for each and every one of you. Also, know their battles, not just their burdens, but their battles. The battles a pastor faces aren't necessarily unique just to him. In some ways, we all face these same kinds of things, but because of the position, he may face them with more intensity or regularity. For example, the battles of spiritual and emotional warfare. There's a real battle, a real war. Satan hates God, he hates truth, and he hates everything associated with him. And he'll fight on every front. Sometimes he battles with doubts. Sometimes he battles with discouragement. Sometimes he battles with fears and loneliness and critics and rejection and even sometimes burnout. You say, well, do you battle with those things? Does Pastor Humphrey battle with those things? I would simply say this, in probably most every case at some point, at some time or other, one or more of these things is going to be a battle that they face. Why do preachers get discouraged? Why do they doubt themselves? And the answer is simply because we're human. Simply human. And so we face the natural things that mortal men face. And the thought is, as a church member, the instruction is from the Apostle Paul is to know them, to understand them, to make yourself open to them. And in so doing, we all work together for the common goal of exalting Jesus Christ and the benefit of the whole, the benefit of the body. And these are vital relationships to the health of a church. When a church member takes that kind of interest in their pastors, it will naturally lead to the next responsibility that we find in verse 13, where Paul says, "...and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake." And be at peace among yourselves. The second responsibility here is not only to know them, but secondly, to esteem them in love. The word esteem here, it means to think well of, it means to consider. The word very highly. So Paul says to esteem them, the elders, the pastors of your church, esteem them, think well of them, consider them. Very highly in love. That word very highly means to superabound. It's the same Greek word that is translated as exceeding abundantly in Ephesians 3.20. Where, where Paul says that now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. It's the same thought, the same same idea, to superabound, only in relation to how pastors in the church are thought of. So Paul says the church should hold them in the highest regard in love. Now, I want to point this out. Notice that the Word of God says, Paul says, to know them, and he says to esteem them very highly in love For their work's sake. The word them is indicative of plural, a plurality. And I want you to keep this in mind that Paul is talking to a local church. And so this brings up, for me, what I believe is the biblical model of the plurality of elders in a church. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Now, I don't think that this is a problem here. But just for clarification, I want to say this. Pastor Humphrey is not the flunky pastor or just the assistant pastor of our church. Now, he's not the presiding elder of the church. There has to be a presiding elder. The buck has to stop somewhere. Acts chapter 15 gives us that example when, when uh, there was the, a meeting in Jerusalem and it was over uh, circumcision of Gentiles and so on. And, and there was this assembly and there was this discussion. And in Acts chapter 15, you find that all the apostles had their say. But later on, James says, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Everybody had their say. The apostles who were pastors had their say. But James was the presiding elder. And he says, my sentence is this. And they settled the issue. There has to be a presiding elder where the buck stops. However, I would simply say this to you. An ordained pastor in the church is just as much an elder or a pastor or a, a man of God, an overseer, a shepherd, as any of the others. Pastor Humphrey's an ordained pastor, even though he's not the presiding elder. And I would simply say that, you know, there's a mentality in churches where, you know, the preacher boys are inferior or the assistant pastor is inferior in a lot of ways. And maybe, you know, maybe there is an element that they don't carry authority the same way, but that has nothing to do with the issue of esteeming them highly in love for their work's sake. But there's that mentality of they're a pastor and then there's an assistant pastor. They're inferior in a lot of ways. And I'm telling you, friend, I'm telling you this. It definitely lends itself to man worship. It lends itself to the exaltation of men when Christ is the one who needs to be exalted. Now, obviously, there's a difference with preachers in training. There is a difference, but... An ordained pastor in the church is to be respected and loved, whether it's the presiding elder, whether it's a staff pastor, whether it's Pastor Humphrey or another man that I would bring on in the future as the Lord directed, they're to be esteemed very highly in love. And the grounds for this, Paul says, is in the second part of verse 13, in love for their work's sake. Here's the grounds for that. To esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. That phrase, for their work's sake, it carries the meaning of a high valuation of the office. A respect for the office that God has instituted in a local New Testament church. What is their work? Overseeing? Guarding? Shepherding? Those whom Christ has bought with his own blood. That directly impacts you. Now, someone might say, well, okay, what does that mean? That you, you, you can't ever uh, question the authority? You can't ever bring up an issue? You can't ever, don't ever question the pastor. Is that what that means? No, that's not what that means. Esteeming an elder very highly in love doesn't mean that you can never raise concerns or problems that you see in the church. Some churches are like that, where you do not question the authority. I'm the pastor. I don't believe that is to the health of a church, number one, and I don't believe it to be biblical, number two. But some churches are like that. Elders, pastors can't do their jobs well if they're not aware of problems that need addressing. You've heard the phrase, and sometimes it's true, the pastor is always the last one to know. That is true in a lot of cases. It doesn't mean that you can't bring up issues that that need to be, or uh, concerns, there are problems that need to be raised, but I'm telling you this, there is a right and a wrong way to bring up an issue or address your pastor. There's a right and a wrong way to do it. Let me just give you an example. In your home, dad, you want your kids to feel free to talk to you about things that might be bothering them. But they should not be allowed to do that defiantly. They need to respect your authority in the Lord as their father. That's biblical. That is God's Word. Honor your Father. Amen? That same analogy carries over into the local church. God has put pastors over you in the church, and we're going to talk more about that in another sermon. But the the instruction is to esteem them highly in love in the Lord. And when that is the right attitude that we come with, Certainly, you're free to bring a problem or a complaint to your pastors. Not bring a problem or complaint to everyone else in the church. But also, you need to understand this, that the pastor to whom you bring a complaint to may ask you to get involved in the solution of that problem. And I wonder sometimes if that's why people... Don't. They want to just sit back and criticize or complain because they don't want responsibility for being part of the actual solution. Just throwing that out there. I don't think that's a problem here, but the Lord knows. But also this, if a pastor confronts you about something that's in your life, You still need to regard Him highly in love because of His work. And you should assume that He's admonishing you because He loves you and He cares for you. Don't don't react by thinking or saying, Who does He think He is? What gives Him the right to correct me? Well, if we're honest, God says in His Word that God gave Him that responsibility. And it's not an easy one, but it parallels the principles that we know of in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Verse 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Here's the reason why. For they watch for your souls as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So, the instruction is know your pastors. Respect and esteem them highly and love because of their work, because of the office they hold, for its dignity, for its importance, but also for the faithfulness with which that office is performed. One man said this, Not for the mere office, which may be often filled unworthily, though it is still entitled to consideration, but for the sake of the labors of love involved in its faithful discharge. Ministers who make full proof of their ministry challenge the abiding respect of their flock. When a pastor is fulfilling his ministry in love towards the sheep, and that is unquestionable, whether or not he loves the sheep, naturally there's going to be that tendency and that responsibility to reciprocate that. To know them. To respect them. To esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. And then, The third one is that the church is responsible to live in peace one with another. Paul says here, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. To live in peace one with another. This actually helps the job of a pastor quite a bit. If you stir up strife in the church by complaining, or you get into personal squabbles with other members of the church, you make the job of a pastor much, much more difficult. Paul says to these people, be at peace among yourselves. And like I said a little bit ago, If there's a legitimate problem that needs to be addressed, please, by all means, bring it to the attention of your pastor. You know, if there's false doctrine going on or there's serious disobedience in the church that needs to be dealt with that he's unaware of, bring it up! But all too often, division in churches happens over selfish, petty matters that prideful people just will not let go. That's usually where it comes from. And it's really contrary to the health of a church. It's anti biblical, certainly. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 12. Put on, therefore, As the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity... Which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. What is part of the calling of a New Testament church? To let the peace of God rule in you. Paul says to the church in Colossae, you need to. Uh, have bowels of mercies towards one another. You need to exhibit kindness to each other, to be humble in your heart, in your mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing. Boy, that's boy, it's getting really it's getting personal here. This is starting to get a little more difficult. I mean, I can I can maybe be merciful and be kind, and surely I'm humble. <laughs> but this Long suffering and this forbearing one another when they irritate me so much, forgiving one another when they said this back like 12 years ago or 12 minutes ago. If any man have a quarrel against any, that's church members. With church members, that's church members with pastors, that's pastors with church members. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. But, is there a but there? I don't see, a, I don't see an exception. Paul says, if there's anybody who's got a quarrel, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. But then he says this, above all these things, so he just listed a whole bunch of things, how we ought to act towards each other with kindness and humbleness and meekness and forbearance and longsuffering and forgiveness and all these, above these things, put on charity, that's love, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your heart, to the which also ye are called in one body. It is God's will for peace to reign in the life of a church. What's interesting about this is Paul says above all these other ways that you need to react and respond to each other, you need to have love for each other first and foremost. And then he says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. You know what that word rule means? It means to be an umpire. <laughs> I like it. What do you need an umpire for? When there's a dispute as to what the call should be, what actually happened there? He says the peace of God The the issue of peace in the life of a church is the umpire. Listen, above all the quarrels and above all the little rifts or above all the little annoyances, there's nothing that is more important than peace in your church. It's got to be the umpire. It means to decide and it means to determine. In other words, we might want to stand on our, this, you know, I think this, and you said that, and it hurt my feelings, and I'm going to, whatever. We might want to stand on that. But the thing that should rule and reign over my feelings is peace in the church, the peace of God. You know what, brother? For the sake of peace... It really doesn't matter i can leave it with the lord what you said what you did it was hurtful but you know what i don't want there to be any problems in my church and for the sake of the lord i can let it go amen sister brother Peace is the primary thing. Paul says, you know what? You should know your pastors. You need to esteem them highly. But you need to live at peace among yourselves. That actually makes the job a whole lot easier. And we ultimately work together for the good of the whole. Paul is primarily addressing church members here in verses 12 and 13 of our text. But inside of these two verses is embedded an admonition or really, should I say, some responsibilities of church leaders as well. He's addressing the church members, but embedded in that is some responsibilities of the pastors. He says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them, number one, which labor among you, Number two, are over you in the Lord. And number three, admonish you. These actually become responsibilities of the leadership of the church. And this list certainly isn't comprehensive as to all the responsibilities of a pastor, but we find here that church leaders are responsible to work diligently in the church, to have charge over the church in the Lord, and to admonish the church. And we're going to talk about these responsibilities next time as we continue to work our way through this section of practical life inside of a New Testament church. I think the the main thought that we need to take away is that none of us are um, exempt from responsibility. We all have a role to play for the health of Road Baptist Church. Amen? And so, let's be quick to apply God's Word in our heart, and let's have the heart, same heart to exalt Christ and to edify the whole. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that You'd help us to see the practicality of these principles and even the uh, really intense responsibility that there is on the part of everyone uh, to maintain peace inside of the church, to work, to edify the whole body so that Christ would be exalted, that Christ would be magnified in a church that is divided or church members that are divided. It affects the whole body and it affects our focus and it affects our ability to be about what we're supposed to be about, and that's evangelizing, preaching the gospel. Lord, help us not to be sidetracked by other things. But Lord, I pray that our hearts would be knit in love, and Lord, with the same common goal and bond in Christ and same purpose to serve Christ. Bless your people, and I'm thankful for this church, thankful for the peace that is here. But I'm also thankful for the reminders that the Word of God gives to us. And Lord, I pray that you would refresh them in us and whether you be pleased with your people. In Jesus' name, amen.